Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks so much again for listening. We're going to make the first hour or so of this uh, available on the free feed. But of course, if you want our full analysis of every single deal, every single team, how much space every team has, which of the remaining free agents uh, are going to be targeted, who's still out there, our winners and losers of free agency. The only way to get that is to subscribe to Dunked on Prime. The full episode is actually two hours and 45 minutes. So I hope you uh, enjoy our analysis here, but if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, please do so. Uh, The link is in the show notes. uh, And if you're someone in a difficult financial situation, you can actually get access to reduce pricing. There are instructions on that in the letter. That is my pinned tweet at Nate Duncan NBA. Hope to see you soon on Dunked on Prime. You know all the benefits by now. Our cap sheets are updating all the time. Our free agent rankings are updating all the time. So you're getting everything that we are looking at to do our analysis in real time, in addition to actually getting that analysis as well. Enjoy. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Day one did not disappoint in the slightest. Let's just get right into it here. We'll finish up, of course, with winners and losers at the end and trends. And we'll talk about all the teams who has cap space still, what free agents are left. That won't take us long. Uh, so where are we starting here, Danny? What's the biggest thing to you uh, that happened today? The team that it felt like in, in the moment, because these things happened so quickly now, was lingering. And that was the Houston Rockets. And presumably part of the reason they were lingering is that they had to actually talk with Fred Van Vliet. And Van Vliet ended up securing, to this moment, the only full maximum contract, albeit only over three years. And Van Vliet is a significant contract for both principal teams involved. It is huge for the Rockets, and I think that is where we should focus, but it's also huge for the Raptors, and we'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, I mean, that is a three-year max deal. The drama played out over that excruciatingly long two-hour period. Do you remember when LeBron James didn't make his decision until the start of Summer League? And that was like a late Summer League, too, back in 2014. Uh, Oh, how things uh, have changed. I mean, even we've gotten past even the meeting stage. There's talk. I mean, KD KD was the 4th of July. Yeah, KD was the 4th of July. That that seemed like it took forever. I mean, 2016, of course, was just such a frenzy overall. But yeah, there's talk that he actually was going to be meeting. There's talk Kyrie was actually going to be. I don't know if these meetings actually happened but it does seem as though houston was ultimately induced to increase their offer perhaps in part by other players who may have been backup plans coming off the board and so they went to a third year at the max for the 29 year old fred van vliet and we were about right in terms of the guaranteed money 
for him in the mock-off season, but we had it at four years rather than three. He actually got more, uh, 128 this time over three. But I think what the mock-off season did augur is the Raps kind of had a ceiling at four years at $30 million a year. And when Houston basically gave Van Vliet more money than that over three years, it became an easy enough decision for him. It's also an understandable prioritization. And there was, of course, some reporting about this. Amick had it. We talked about it a little bit on, on yesterday's recording. But Van Vliet is a much cleaner fit with the players that not only the Rockets have, but that they want to develop. Because what Van Vliet can do is he can run the show. I don't think that's his greatest strength. But also, he is a natural complement and has done it throughout his career for other on-ball players. So whether that becomes Jalen Green or Amon Thompson or maybe Kevin Porter Jr., though I think he's going to be marginalized now, while also providing a part of the defensive foundation. And Van Vliet doing those things, being a well-respected vet, it it costs a lot. But a point that I saw a couple times that I thought was a really fair one is that, especially when you consider the Rockets' unusual structure with having so many rookie-scale guys, I think of this as really the biggest individual player win for the salary floor because they could have spent this money on a couple of different players, but the Rockets didn't really have the roster spots for that. And so why not throw it into a single guy who can make a difference, but you're not doing it for four years and see where things go? I don't know if the salary floor mattered in this specific case because of the fact that they have the top four protected pick out there and they've That's already been true. bad for three years. And so I think the Rocks were maybe the one team that was going to spend. I would say Bruce Brown would have to be one of those. Uh, I mean, there weren't really uh, Joe Ingles would be one of those, I would say, probably with the Magic, uh, who we'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, I guess those are the only, the cap space teams, the rest of them just traded for guys, actually, and that, that could be part of it, too, uh, and to help some of these teams reduce their tax burdens. I think we're a little too early right now to say what the effect of the salary floor is necessarily going to be because you also probably have more pressure from the top with teams having operated under the old CBA. We had a record number of teams that were in the tax, record number of teams over the second apron last year that are now trying to get under. So I think we're a little bit away from reaching an equilibrium. Then we're also probably going to have just yearly 10% cap increases for a while too whereas we've had these last few years with the pandemic very small increases in the cap and so teams who sign guys to eight percent raises their salaries going up and up and up and their headroom below the tax and the aprons and all that was getting smaller and smaller so i think it may take a little bit for like i think that the floor definitely had somewhat of an effect but i think it's going to take a little bit of of time for things to truly reach an equilibrium there and then of course some new thing will happen to fuck it all up anyway for sure and van vliet giving him that third year does complicate the rockets books for 25 26 that is when jalen green and alpern changoon will be on new contracts whether that comes via extension or restricted free agency some of the other guys too but the cap will presumably be going up between now and then and in the last year, if that's really what it ends up being, it, it first of all, it won't be pr- hopefully, you know, forty four point nine million underwater. It'll be a smaller amount there, and you can kind of cross that bridge when you get to it. So for the Rockets, you add a player who makes you better, who can set some of the tones that you want on both ends of the floor, and they still have money to spend. The Rockets still have roughly twenty five million that they can work with. We'll go through the teams later on, and so for them. 
I, I, yes, this is richer than I probably would have stomached. And of course, as the Raptors, I, I would have balked it if somebody had made an offer like this. It was a lesser offer in annual value that that caused me to stop. And I, I think I ended up reflecting Masai Ujiri's thinking fairly well. So, but let's focus on this from the Rockets' perspective first. Do you kind of agree with my framing? That's like if you were going to spend it, he's a logical fit. Yeah, we talked about this when we did their offseason outlook that he was a much better fit than James Harden. There's some reporting indicating that once they signed Udoka that they wanted to go more in this direction, that he was really pushing like we need more shooting, we need more shooting. And he's absolutely correct about that, but also a, a guy who can play off the ball, which Harden has, shall we say, struggled to do. And then also uh, provide some leadership, some organization defensively, help defense, you know, all the things that Harden was not going to be amazing at. Also to just give them a decent on-ball defender although Van Vliet I think has fallen off there a little bit in recent years and so the reason he got paid so much was because of his fit and not necessarily because of the player he is but because of the fit and the Rockets again didn't really like he's going to make a huge difference for them if you're going to draw up a player on paper I mean yeah he's probably not quite at an all-star level now uh, he had that one year last year and then he dropped off it's probably closer to what his actual level is what he did last year and he's going to be going as a small guard into his 30s and so that's you know he's not worth even 40 million for this year not to mention the next two years uh, as he's 30 and 31 but he still just he doesn't take anything off the table and he adds things in basically every area they desperately needed passing he can do that but he's also very comfortable playing off the ball as well so so certainly if you had to pick to me the one guy in free agency and we talked about how Houston particularly with some of the other teams using their cap space differently and just kind of punting into the future or taking out bad contracts or just trying to trade for players Houston was going to have pretty much their pick of the litter they would have the option of basically outbidding everyone they don't have any tax concerns even in that third year they have 90 million dollars in cap space right now even and that'll be more than enough to extend Jalen Green and Alperen Sengun even even at that point and maybe even have some cap space then as well so yeah this was the guy that it made sense to splurge on and the other thing too is they have all these other guys so consolidating this cap space into one player who really fit like trying to break it up into three guys like okay would a bruce braun really have made that big of a difference for them if they wanted to go that route and kyle kuzma they got a bunch of guys at that position they don't really have a point guard unless you're going to say that's a men thompson who's going to be pretty raw on this roster and fred can play with them a men also and be a really good veteran mentor for him so i, I think this is when you consider the reality of the top four protected pick, I think this is a good move for the Houston Rockets. And because, uh, I, I, again, he's not someone who's going to prevent the development of any of the other players on the roster. He's going to enhance it. And that dovetails nicely into the other side of this coin, which well, is the Well, let, let's to finish up on the Rockets first. They still got $25 million in space. What are they going to do with it? There are a number of different potential priorities. I mean, we've heard the possibilities of them going after Brooke Lopez that might end up being more from his end leverage to get more from the Bucks. It could also be, you know, Lopez would help them. Dylan Brooks is a distinct possibility and that, you know, wing defender, you expect that Amen Thompson, I mean, would, could could eventually become that guy, but just like he's not going to be the lead ball handler and replace Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet, you could fit that in. I think those two guys are reasonable targets after that. It can get a little bit dicey, but they could also take on money in trades. Like they don't have to do it all through free agent signings if that's not the, if those opportunities aren't there 
in time. Yeah. Now it seems it seems as though the Spurs are the team that wants to to take on money in trades and is going to be the leader there. I mean, Brooke Lopez, you know, they got twenty five million a year. We saw what Nikola Vucevic went for. We saw what Jakob Pertl went for, which we'll talk about in a second. I I realize Brooke Lopez is over, but to me, he's an order of magnitude beyond those players, both defensively and with his ability to shoot the ball. Not to mention that the Bucks have no way to replace him, and he certainly would really really help uh, this Houston team to get that shooting at the center position and just to have that that backline defender who's going to really help them and provide an anchor for all the mistakes that happen out top and but I'm sure he would rather remain in Milwaukee you know the, the Houston I think they can take a step forward and once they fully have their team we'll talk about how good they're actually going to be uh but it does seem like the Rockets are kind of being used as leverage right now and the Bucks are sort of you know they're trying to wheedle some more out of the Bucks and after that you know maybe it's Dylan Brooks Brooks is not something I like the fit of as well there because of his lack of shooting and the fact that they have other players at those positions they could maybe be able to get Lopez and Brooks if they were to move on from say uh Jay Sean Tate or Kevin Porter Jr if that's I mean if they're willing to take the hit they could also go after Miles Bridges well, that's that's the other one that comes to mind there too, and we'll mention his situation a little bit more later as well. So I, I think this is good work by the Rockets. They got the twenty five million in space. They are at thirteen players now under contract. And oh, one other so, quick Rockets yeah. note yes. about Perky Smith: they signed Darius Days to another two way contract, so he takes one of their now three two way spots. <laughs> All right, that's that, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess that's slightly interesting. I don't know if we have to do all the two way. Uh, it's it's the only one that happened today, today, so that's why I mentioned it. Yeah, well, yeah, because it literally is a move that could happen today, where right. most of the stuff is is under the moratorium. Totally. But yeah, and then of course they still have the, the room exception should they want to use that as well. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time 
to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, let's talk about Toronto here now. Uh, well, just to get on paper what they did and then to take a look at where how things ended up this way holistically. Four years, $80 million for Jakob Pertl. Fourth year player option. Oof. It seems like the leverage there was possibly returning to San Antonio or maybe uh, there was talk that Houston might have been interested in him as well. And of course, uh, well, well, yeah, we'll... Uh, continue going through there's talk that they are getting close to an extension with gary trent jr one that was described as lucrative by chris haynes and then they held on to thaddeus young they guaranteed uh his eight million dollar salary i think this was the last day they, were, they had to waive him he had one million guaranteed now they want to keep him around and maybe use him as a trade piece but that's a, another one of these billion forwards that they have and then they brought in dennis schroeder on a two-year 26 million dollar deal we'll see that feels kind of team optiony. We'll see whether there's a particularly given all the rest of the uncertainty now around this team. So, and of course, they would have just been preposterously over the tax line with Fred Van Vliet, uh, and they don't have Ananobi or Siakam or Scotty Barnes. Barnes be restricted for agent, but still on long-term deals. And maybe there's a feeling they had to prioritize those guys, but nonetheless, they are now without Fred Van Vliet. How did we end up here? This is the third time in five off seasons that the Toronto Raptors have had a significant departure without much of a strong return so Kawhi is a different case in 2019 a they acquired him they won a championship and he left that was justified but you know they and they they hoped they were gonna get Kyle Lowry two years ago and you know it's not like the it's worked out super well for the heat and then Fred Van Vliet but part of the story and you and I have been fixated on this more than I think some over the last couple of years which is just what is the plan for the Toronto Raptors and some of it is potentially overvaluing the guys you have, asking for too much in trades. And it's also not necessarily seeing like the sales pitch for where this could be going. And so, you know, like, okay, if they were going to keep all these guys, especially after the Pirtle trade, well, then they're going to be extremely expensive and not that good. And then if you let one or two guys go, it's the story of an ensemble cast. You let one or two guys go that you don't really have a replacement for, then you're going to fall off a cliff. And so now they're... The good news is they have ways that they can retool, but not to really reload more if they wanted to totally change course again. And so it's it's a disappointing place to be. 
Yeah, and we talked about how they were the linchpin of the trade deadline. They ended up doing absolutely nothing in terms of sending guys out. We don't know exactly what the offers were for Van Vliet. Hard to imagine that there weren't at least two first-round picks out there from a, a team that really would have liked to to have him, although he certainly had uh, a, some big salary expectations that that team would have had to keep in mind. But hey, the Toronto Raptors also should have kept that in mind when deciding whether to hold on to him. They were disappointing. They're in playoff position. They felt like acquiring Pirtle at the cost of a very lightly protected first, right? The fact that they were unable to negotiate a little bit better of protection there is really hamstrung any of their future planning, as we talked about in their offseason outlook. And so now they ended up with what I think is an overpay for Proto Messiah Jr. Did call him a top 10 center in the league. I think that's a little strong. Good rim protector, but an offensive rebounder, and he's got a little bit of a floater game, but not a guy you necessarily love closing games with the free throw issues. And they were really locked in to both pay him and also if they just lost him then you're hurt they look even worse uh particularly if he goes right back to the spurs which would have been uh a total egg on the face move so they kind of really locked themselves into some difficulty there was talk that if they had some trade discussions with pascal siakam feeling around there they were told that siakam wouldn't be interested in extending wherever he wanted he apparently wants to stay in toronto but and maybe go for that designated player veteran extension this year but that's maybe not a great contract for the raptors either because they're where they were with van vliet is also probably where they are going to end up with siakam and anobi too is your three options are trade him for what you can get at the deadline overpay him to what's either a bad contract or let him go because you can't pay that contract or don't want to pay that contract and it ended up being option b there are chances of getting a sign and trade they might be able to wheedle a trade exception somehow out of houston but it's they're not going to get anything of significance back in all likelihood no, in all likelihood they'd have to give up something to do that right right i mean to do that with you know they were able to salvage precious Achua, although at the cost of taking on 19 million dollars in dead salary of goran dragic when they did this same thing with kyle lowry uh back in 21 so messiah i mean maybe the offers were just so bad and he's like hey we're not going to do any worse at the deadline he's going to want to go somewhere or, or uh, in the summer he's going to want to go somewhere where we can win that team will be over the cap we can at least get something uh, and i mean again maybe if they're being offered one late first round pick for him which seems ridiculous to me given the prices that guys have gone for lately that that, then I understand why they did this. I don't know that, that that's the case, but that's really the only excuse I can come up with uh, for what's a pretty obvious failure here for a team that's like, you know, they were going to be, they weren't going to be competitive enough to, for my eyes with Fred Van Vliet still on board with this group, which is another reason why they should have moved him because they don't to me and didn't to me have a path to really get back into being competitive in the East without possibly taking a step back first. And they have all these guys who would be great fits anywhere that people would really like, you'd think. And they just let another one go out the door as they did pretty much with Lowry. And one other fail for the guy that stayed in the door with Yaka Pertle is that in some of the other deals like OG and Anobi, Ujiri secured a player option or gave up, sacrificed a player option for lower annual value. Now, they didn't actually get the best return on that. They were able to squeeze, you know, a couple extra depth guys overall. But Pertle got a player option at a, at a contract that was on the high end of fair. So it's not a circumstance. Oh, was he good? Were you going to give him, you know, going to give him twenty five a year? But then you got him down to twenty with the player option. No, probably not. I think they they overpaid, and it's a bird rights trap. It's it's all these problems put together because you just traded for the dude, and Pirtle 
at times I've been a big believer in him, but he isn't particularly defensively versatile. And I'm significantly more skeptical than some are that the Vooch contract, the Pearl contract are going to look good in, you know, two years. Oh, you know, everyone's going to get paid more. do it's like centers don't often move that needle. And like, you can think about there are more yeah, reasons, not unless you have a special skill set or your defensive player of the year. Exactly. And so, I mean, I'm, DeAndre Eaton, you know, another team gave him an offer sheet. He's getting paid more than either of the two gentlemen I just invoked. But the Suns aren't exactly having the easiest time in the world moving him now. And former number one overall pick has shown more signs. And it's just a reminder, center-only players don't necessarily hold their value in the same way that other guys do unless they have that superstar skill. Yeah, and then getting Schroeder, I mean, from a talent perspective, I guess it's, that's okay. I think they it would have been nice for them maybe if they could have gotten in on Gabe Vincent as they did in the mock offseason. There was some buzz about that happening, but Vincent ended up in L.A. But Schroeder, while he might fit on a team like the Lakers, a team that has a lot of shooting that needs a guy, who, you know, Schroeder's better off the bench because he's not really much of a distributor. He wants to attack the basket and then you know, hound smaller guards on the other end. Well, I think he's not, it's not insane to get him for this deal. And again, maybe there's a team option on the end. And maybe you can argue he was the best gettable point guard for their mid-level. But he's a terrible fit here. So many limited shooters on this team. Yeah, I mean, they, they traded one of the best shooters at the point guard position for one of the worst. And they did that on a team that has Scotty Barnes in a pivotal role, that has Jakob Pertl in a pivotal role. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm very disappointed with where the Raptors are. And I'm in some ways even more disappointed with where they might be going. Yeah, a lot of the shine has come off uh, of Musai Ujiri and the Raptors organization uh, since they were really riding high in the hog, probably even more uh, in 20 after they won a, a bunch of games and they were the, the two seed in the East after Kawhi left. But yeah, these last three years uh, have been pretty, pretty tough. Nick Nurse isn't here anymore either. Good job by him jumping off the sinking ship, by the way, even though he technically got fired. And yeah, I mean, you think about the development of Scotty Barnes, which uh, stagnated last Last year, well, now he just has absolutely no spacing to work with. I mean, I, I didn't really care for the Pirtle acquisition as well. Like, yeah, okay, it was good to have a center to run, pick, and roll at Fred Van Bleet. Okay, well, he's gone now. Uh, you needed some rim protection, okay, but like he, Pirtle can't shoot either. And so is this finally... The, and then the signing of Schroeder, Danny, that to me is an indication that they're still going to try to be competitive, I guess, with this group re-signing Pirtle as, as well. And so I, I'm concerned now that they're not going to face reality on Ananobi and Siakam either, even though Siakam's trying to not get traded. But uh, good luck to Siakam making All-NBA on this team now with, with no shooting and, and probably you know a play-in team at best. We'll see how OG Ananobi's ship to CAA changes those things for him. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I mean, are they going to now pay Gary Trent the same amount he was making uh, already? Uh, in terms of their finances now, they are... 10 million below the tax with 13 players so they could still have their BAE available to bring in potentially another piece and they'll, they'll still have room with, to operate with some minimums uh, and whatnot there too uh, they push back the guarantee of Joe Wieskamp who uh the second best shooter on the team right now they also have no backup point guard at all on this team I mean they basically have two guys who can make a three that project to be in their rotation uh, I'm sorry one who project to be in their rotation with Gary Trent and then you got some your Chris Boucher's your precious 
specialist at Chua's who are will take threes, uh, but are a little iffier there. And Anobi is an adequate three-point shooter, but not, again, a guy that you would think of as, like, incredibly dangerous out there. Let's get to Dennis Schroeder's former team, the L.A. Lakers, who, who were one of the bigger teams to make a splash on day one. We wondered what exactly the Lakers were going to do, and there were reports that they intended to sign players, incidentally one of those being Bruce Brown, who they did not get with the non-taxpayer and something I focused on early in that was that the specificity of using the non-taxpayer mid-level meant that Lakers were intending to ride this narrow path, which is behaving as an over-the-cap team. So that meant retaining some of their own guys, but also being hard-capped because you're going to use the NTMLE and then they ended up using the biannual as well already. And it looks like they're going to walk that path. We we don't know every piece of it, but the ones that we do know are pretty fascinating. And so they signed Gabe Vincent, three years, $33 million for the Lakers. And Vincent, I think of as a very good fit with a LeBron team because he's better off ball than on ball, but he can defend, you know, he can defend those basic, mat, you know, those point, point guard, point of attack matchups. And he can defend some other stuff too. He's not perfect on bigger guys, but can do that. And Vincent, you know, if you need him to do a little bit more, he can. So that type of player works really well in a group like this that also presumably will include Austin Reeves, who has had the ball in his hands and could potentially include other guys like D'Angelo Russell, depending on how that scores up. Yeah, just to get all of their transactions on here, Gabe Vincent, three years, $33 million. I think it is telling that he is a little bit below the full mid-level. Uh, Rui Hachimura, three years, $51 million is reported. Maybe one of the, these restricted free agent contracts often have incentives in them. We'll see on there, although with respect to the hard cap, those will count. Uh, and then they signed Torian Prince uh, with their BAE, which is uh, just over $4.5 million. Starting with Vincent, yeah, I really like the fit here of him. It makes the pain of losing Schroeder, who they weren't going to be able to afford in the end anyway, much more palatable because I think he can take on a similar role defensively, maybe not quite as good uh, as Schroeder was uh, in terms of his quickness and really hounding guys, but pretty darn close to that. And then, and maybe a little more strength and size to do a, a slight bit of switching. But then offensively, just a much easier fit. Uh, he can totally start for them if needed. Like he will take threes. He may struggle to make them at times. We'll see on that, but he's at least going to take them. And he can even do a little bit of coming off some screens off the ball if needed. But just, you know, this is solid third guard money for him. And I think he fits in with that skill set very well. This also protects them in case they are not able to come to an agreement with D'Angelo Russell. More on that in a second. And then Hachimura, you know, maybe this is a little bit rich. They gave up the three seconds to get him. His starting salary is 15.7. What did you make of the price paid for Hachimura? We do need to adjust to what 15 million, 17 million is in the modern NBA. That's not like great starter money anymore, but it is, you know, low end starter, high end backup. I think that's that's roughly where I'm putting it in my head now. And Hachimura definitely has talent. He looked better at times with LeBron and AD than he ever has before. But I'm still skeptical that, you know, that some of the three-point shooting we saw at times in the playoffs, that that will continue. And his defensive limitations are present. I don't want to write off improvement for Hashimura, but to me, he's more of a third or fourth forward. Probably a fourth forward because I wouldn't want him to close. 
and like I draw that line tighter than most people do. So that it's more than I would like to pay him. But the opportunity cost for the Lakers might be pretty minimal there, especially if they were going to do this over the cap path, which seems very reasonable considering some of the other moves. So overpay, not a dramatic, like heinous overpay. And, you know, that that's a lot of the first day of free agency. Yeah, I mean, this is paying Rui like the player that he was in the playoffs. And maybe that's a little bit optimistic, but he's also still young enough to improve. And it's only three years, not four. Uh, so that's probably to the Lakers' benefit at this point in time. Certainly not a deal that I would think of as immovable. And I thought Rui really thrived as a, a play finisher for this team, either around the basket or being able to make shots. And then every once in a while uh, in isolation against smaller players, maybe that's something that could be explored a little bit more, uh, particularly in the regular season. So yeah, he's not a great fit closing next to LeBron and AD because none of those guys really are going to be defending threes and that's really the thing that's missing Prince signing aside on this team is still what someone you'd look at as a real three particularly one who can defend threes but hey they made it to the West Finals without that player last year luckily they didn't go up against that kind of player uh but it would be nice if they had him particularly if you're going up against a Denver and you want someone with a little more size to who can both guard Murray and then also switch on to Jokic some too they don't really have a guy like that but yeah again this is this should be a path that will enable them to retain D'Angelo Russell uh we'll see uh on him uh Prince you know at 4.5 got waived unexpectedly by the Wolves yesterday I, I think that's okay you know would there have maybe been someone else I would have liked to grab for 4.5 I, I mean I don't know that there's anyone else and he's still at a position that they need you know Troy Brown got about the same would you rather have Prince or Troy Brown because Troy Brown actually ended up uh, in Prince's stead in Minnesota they functionally swapped which is considering the bird rights that the Lakers had could have yeah. for you almost know. identical contracts except uh if Brown uh, got a, a second year non-guaranteed or team option or something he did and so with Prince it's been the case ever since he was a Baylor that some people have been more into the idea like, oh, you can be a 3 and D guy. Well, his defense has never been great. His three-point shot has actually been pretty good, but I, you wish the volume was a little higher. But as a guy in the rotation, I have no real problem with it. The Lakers... I, I mean, he's he's a fourth forward who isn't going to at least kill you in any one area. So uh, at this price, I think that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think he's going to get much better uh, at this point. Uh, and yeah, and, and then if you just look at it holistically, getting Gabe Vincent, who just checks so many boxes, even if he's not absolutely elite at any of them, I just I like his ability to fit in in so many different lineups as he was able to do uh, in Miami. So now financially, the Lakers, they uh, we're going to take Austin Reeves out of the equation. So that gives them nine guys. Austin Reeves, we pretty much can, we'll talk about him in a second, but he, we pretty we know the most he's going to get is twelve point two. Uh, the early bird exception is a little bit less than that. Well, actually, here what is the official? The official ML is. Sorry, twelve point four now. The the not yeah, but but for but for early bird, it's twelve point oh one five one five zero. Right, but yeah, even if he gets an offer sheet elsewhere, which they still have to be prepared for, the most his first year salary would be in the Lakers books is twelve four. Sure. So that now leaves you with ten guys, uh, including their draft pick Hood uh, Shafino. They'll be able to save a little bit of money by signing Maxwell Lewis to the rookie minimum up against the hard cap. So that's 11. And that now gives you 11 players under contract. You 
take in two more minimum deals, so lop off four million of what they have, and now you've got about twenty-three million left below the apron to work with on re-signing D'Angelo Russell, or you could potentially use non-bird rights to bring back Lonnie Walker the fourth as well. I'm sure they would love to get both of those guys back in the door. Uh, they would have to really squeeze Russell there, but they could still offer him above the non-taxpayer by at least a little bit, and I don't know if he has any offers out there for more than that right now and then may also bring back walker at the 7.8 that they could pay him that would be a dream scenario for them i'm not sure if either of those guys markets will potentially support that particularly because if they bring back russell you think they're going to want him on a deal that they can trade not a one plus one necessarily i, I don't uh, think unless he may although he could agree to make himself tradable in that circumstances but then he would lose uh, his bird right so that's what they're looking at right now financially what are you gonna say i just i don't think we need to mention him just in passing but cam reddish who did not get a qualifying offer from the blazers signed a one plus one at the oh, yes, minimum with the lakers he'll he'll have an opportunity to be in the rotation i haven't seen enough from reddish you know game to game to think that he's definitely going to be in the mix but if you know you give him the latitude playing with lebron can make a lot of players look better and if he's he Damn well better be motivated to do it considering how many teams Reddish has been on over the years. But he gets an opportunity and a, a totally worthy roll of the dice for a roster spot for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it is still a, a one plus one, but that that won't hurt them next year if, if they have to get off of that. And Oh, actually, uh, there's Reddish, one other Lakers yeah. thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. These are the first contracts that the Lakers have signed that extend beyond the 24-25 season when both LeBron and AD have player options. I think that Vincent in particular, it's a totally reasonable number. We don't know the exact structure. I don't think the Lakers know the exact structure. It'll depend on what happens with... Because if, if D'Angelo Russell leaves, I think they should actually front load the crap out of these contracts if they can. But if he stays, yeah. then you probably want to... You're going to be squeezing. So you probably want to backload him. But... Yeah, well, and, and also, I mean, if they they want to make trades, too, and they're going to be hard cap, like, uh, you, having some room is going to be useful. But just to finish up on Rush, this is the type of player that they have targeted in the past. I think he's a clutch client, too, isn't he? But uh, just young, underperforming wings with some athleticism. They And they found some decent guys, like Lonnie Walker and uh, Troy Brown Jr., who have helped them at least some in the past. They, I think, after the misery of that 21-22 season when they signed Trevor Ariza and Carmelo, just a bunch of old, decrepit guys. I think they're done with that. They would rather go for younger guys. Uh, and maybe they think Max Christie could emerge into a rotation spot uh, as well. And so, again, we'll wait to see what happens with Walker and Russell. They also actually uh, could bring back Malik Beasley as well, Dane. That's mm-hmm. another guy that they actually have bird rights on after declining his team option. And, you know, if I were Beasley, I, being out of the playoff rotation, maybe I'd want to come back elsewhere. But they could still use some more shooting uh, as well. I mean, it seems like Beasley or Walker would certainly be an e- either or posi- uh, proposition. So I think everyone, Russell, Beasley, Walker, they're just gonna see how things play out uh and then austin reeves you know he doesn't have an obvious offer sheet out there yet i'm sure they've offered him the four-year deal for a little over 50 million that they can offer him right now if i'm him i would be pushing if i don't have the offer sheet i would be pushing actually to get a one plus one i think that would be fair because it would give him some protection after to to give him probably some life-changing money when he hasn't made anything yet but it also gives the lakers something that he would still be restricted again next year and 
didn't even have uh, you know, not that much on the books uh, for the year afterwards. So I think that would be a fair outcome. I would push for that uh, as Reeves rather than going for the four-year deal. If I'm the Lakers, I obviously want him on the four-year deal. And what do you think Reeves' market value is? Like, if he were unrestricted, like, what, he'd be making, you know, low 20s probably, right? That's what I would give him, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that max, he could get pencils out to 25, but you have that weird structure where it's uh, only 12 or so in the first two years and then bumps up all the way to the max uh, in the second two years. If you are the team making the offer sheet, however, you can just distribute that 25 million. Uh, and, and I think this is, it's, we're seeing, and with uh, Vincent and obviously Van Vliet, we're seeing that guards who, and, and Vincent is uh, certainly a poorer example of this than Reason Van Vliet, but guards who have the ability to fit in, play on or off the ball, do some pick and roll stuff, they're decent enough defensively, that that has a lot of value because you have that versatility. And I think those guys rightfully are going to get paid more than just your more, even some of your just, you know, regular scoring guard types uh, uh, who are sort of on that starter backup line. Where are we going next here? We're going to Dallas, where it seemed likely that Kyrie Irving was going to return to the Dallas Mavericks after they traded for him near the deadline. And the structure was an open question. And what it ended up being is three years, $126 million with a third-year player option. That contract was below the maximum for Kyrie, but potentially more than any team was going to was gonna offer. But being under his maximum gave Dallas the latitude to potentially use the non-taxpayer mid-level, which they have not done yet. But they did sign Seth Curry. They brought him back for on a two-year deal for the biannual. So that means that the Mavericks are going to be hard-capped and they were able to add a player who's going to make them better and they have the latitude to add a third player or I guess the second newcomer who can help them too. Yeah, and this was a really interesting situation. Kyrie was pulling out the card and maybe meeting with the Suns, which was utterly ridiculous from a CBA standpoint. And then there was also talk of him maybe meeting with the Rockets, which would have provided more leverage at a time when it appeared that Fred Van Vliet may not go to Houston and then Houston was just not going to have anyone left to spend their money on. So that may have been what ultimately pushed Dallas's offer up a little bit. But I, I consider this, I don't know if it's fair because obviously Kyrie Irving has been so unreliable. I, I think it's fair for like what Kyrie has actually been on the floor. He actually played pretty well for the Mavs. It wasn't his fault that they disappointed when he was there. But it's maybe, I would say, it's expected uh, as an outcome uh, for him. A little over $40 million per season. Uh, I, I mean, that seems kind of where it was going, particularly with maybe some of the developments uh, in uh, recent weeks. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 
21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I brought up that one of the moves that Dallas made, we still don't know exactly what they're going to do with their with the non-tax permit level. <laughs> there aren't that many guys left. But I do really like the Seth Curry edition better off ball than on ball hasn't you know the shines come off him a little bit but a dynamic shooter a capable defender someone who can be a part of dallas's rotation yeah another small guard isn't amazing uh but they also do actually need more shooting particularly if they needed to move on from tim hardaway jr which uh you would imagine is something they'd be trying to do and that he is likely to be part of any package as at least less toxic salary than some of the other guys uh, they have to send uh, like holmes uh, and mcgee so uh, at this price uh particularly bringing him back uh, in dallas where he's thrived before makes sense they need someone who's going to knock down shots he and Kyrie is not amazing in the backcourt they did play together at least a little bit in brooklyn although not that much so yeah we'll see where they end up uh with the non-taxpayer mle and they obviously need some type of presence on the wing I and mean, they've got josh green there they really just don't have anyone else uh, of note with a pulse defensively and maybe that's kelly Oubre jr who i think could at least give them some okay on ball defense and you know they're not looking for a ton of intelligence offensively because they kind of just need guys to stand outside and shoot uh when Kyrie and Lucas set them up uh, although Ubre's sometimes wanted to do more and maybe he could at least take a few shots uh, for them uh particularly if Kyrie or Luca were unavailable and the other thing that they don't have at all is a, a third ball handler on this team you know Curry can do a slight bit of that maybe you can run a few plays for him off the ball well I think Hardy they Jayden want Hardy, they want yeah. Jaden Hardy to do some of that yeah I mean we'll see I don't know if I'm counting on him quite yet there I, I would like to have some insurance but certainly getting someone on the wing uh would be more important there uh you know dylan brooks doesn't seem like like his lack of shooting isn't a great fit at this point in time and they really are also a little thin still i would say at center you know moxie kleba is certainly a good rotation piece there but he's had some injury issues and javale they are not counting on him holmes might come back and be good and then they got Derek lively who as a 19 year old rookie you know he's not probably ready to come in and have a walker kessler like impact you know kessler was had more experience than him and also he's been one of the best defensive rookies that we've seen so counting on that from lively doesn't make a ton of sense they've got uh omax prosper as well another guy you don't want to count on a, a rookie coming in so they i mean this is always going to be the case uh, re-signing Kyrie uh but you know it would have been lovely if they could have gotten a Bruce Braun but uh as it turned out he was uh quite out of their price range in the end so yeah we could talk about the team that ended up with Bruce Brown and that is the Indiana Pacers the Pacers it, the number was initially shocking and it's still it's still to an extent is though that changed with some of the further details Bruce Brown two years 45 million with the Pacers each of those years is more money than Bruce Brown has made in his entire career, $15 million up to this point. So thrilled for Bruce Brown, who was an integral part of the Denver Nuggets championship team. We did subsequently find out that the second year of that is a team option. So that means the Pacers could get out of it. They could do some sort of different, you know, do something different. And it's a team option, which means they don't have to waive him. They can, you know, decline the team option, negotiate a new contract. However, that's going to work. We'll have to see. Then the other piece of business that the 
Pacers conducted was later in the day because those had to be announced on July 1st. They announced the five-year max extension for Tyrese Halliburton. We do not know whether that will be 25% or 30% max because Tyrese Halliburton has to actually, you know, like make an all-NBA team for to qualify. And we'll go back to Brown. I think that his fit with Halliburton is a strong one because Brown can take on some of the tough defensive assignments that Halliburton is not adept at. And Halliburton has, he's thin, but he has enough wingspan that he can defend different positions a little bit. And Brown, you know, more of an off-ball guy. I think he's actually a beautiful fit at times with their offense and can give them some some transition oomph, which is always nice when you have Halliburton. So I like it. I wouldn't say that it's like a screaming fit, like if you could get more of a three or more of a four, even with Jairus Walker there. But a good player who will do the right stuff and not the wrong stuff, and that gives them a little bit of latitude to see where Ben Matherin, Buddy Heald, and some of the other guys fit into the overall ecosystem. Yeah, it's a pretty solid fit, and they didn't have to... I said that this is the one that's really kind of, I guess, a win for the salary floor, and they paid him in year one $8 million more. Nine, I'm sorry, that's incorrect, almost $10 million more than the full mid-level would have been. Let me ask you this, though, Danny... You think this is a good piece of business for Bruce Brown? Because he could have gotten over $50 million guaranteed. It's in some ways a bet on uh, on what he can do in another in another year. You know, I mean, if, if the Pacers even pick up the second second year option, then it's looking really good for Bruce Brown. So it's risky. It is riskier than I would have expected. But the annual value is nothing to, to shake at. And the fit, you know, he can be a starter there, which he's not going to be everywhere. So I, I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, I would have liked it a little bit more for him if the structure were a non-guaranteed second year with a significant guarantee. Now, you noted that this gives more optionality, and I do like the idea of just allowing players and teams to work together, like team options and player options are both giving players and teams chances to restructure it in a way that's beneficial for both of them in the last year of deals. We saw that in New Orleans, although uh, maybe only one party benefited there. But for Brown, you might make the argument, because he has had kind of a meteoric rise. Remember, he only had a one plus one at the taxpayer MLE last year that he was in the perfect place in Denver. He played really well there, shot more threes than he had, and was able to play off of Nikola Jokic, be the backup point guard in the second unit. And so, yeah, maybe in an Indiana team that's going to be off the radar, his star could fall a little bit. And But you would think even if that happens, Indiana or someone else would bring him in at around the mid-level money even then. And so there may, you would hope there's not that much risk unless there's like a, a significant injury situation, which is a problem. But this is enough, again, to get life-changing money. Uh, but I'm just, I'm not sure that Bruce Brown on a long-term deal has the upside to like continue getting $20 million a year contracts. But maybe the Pacers just opt him in next year because it's like, hey, it's only one year, $23 million, And what else are we doing with our space? We still have $27 million in, in cap space next year, even with this Maurice Halliburton thing. In terms of the on-floor fit, uh, Braun is pretty good in transition. These guys want to run. He's not perfect at the three. You think he's probably going to just start there at this point. They had absolutely nothing at the three uh, in terms of defense other than Aaron Neesmith, who's probably better offensively as a backup. And then while Braun isn't perfect defending threes, they do have Miles Turner behind him, and he can at least compete there. And then also if the other team's best threat is a one, if you're going to have Matherin and Halliburton, neither of those guys are really great guarding ones either. So Bruce Braun can guard the one if need be too. And then when you have spacing with Miles Turner at the five, you could see Bruce Braun get into that little 
pick and roll game uh, as a short roll guy, maybe a little bit with Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, it won't be the same because there won't be like a big guarding him probably, but he could still do some ghost screen stuff, OKC style, uh, get Halliburton going downhill as a passer, get him an easier matchup, something like that. So I, I think the fit here is certainly as good as Indiana could possibly have hoped for among anyone on the free agent market. And good job by them using their cap space to outbid everyone else, but also keeping their books open at the same time. In terms of the Halliburton extension, he has played well enough, you know, that that you give him this. I always prefer it if you can get something, you know, some sort of concession. But I think Halliburton, and we'll talk about uh, Desmond Bain a little bit later, I, I think that you, you maybe you try for it, but they didn't give up. It doesn't appear a player option. Usually we would have heard that by now if it happened. Obviously, we have the right to amend later on but Halliburton you know one of the more dynamic young guards in the league can we wonder about his viability in the playoffs they don't have access to that information and the only way that he jumps up to the 30 percent max and we don't know the exact terms of the triggers but would be through an all nba or better season and if he does that then the pacers will happily pay the bump from 25 to 30 yeah and this has traditionally been a team that's had pretty clean books uh, that it's exercised a lot of fiscal responsibility and you know when you get a player like this in a market like indiana it, you pay what it takes and if they did in fact avoid the player option uh, that's probably a good thing bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Another player, Danny, signed for a maximum extension shortly after 1201 Eastern, but it was not the expected Anthony Edwards. I'm sure that will be coming at some point, but instead Desmond Bain in Memphis. Bain, a wonderful player development story who has thrived as a more of a playmaker than I thought he was going to be. And I've loved Desmond Bain's development overall during his career. He gets the, it looks like it's his, because of the framing, and they were both broken by Woj, that Halburn's was listed higher than Bain's. It's that Bain's is a pure 25%, whereas Halburn's has the escalators, let's put it, to to get up there. And sure, the number here, you know, five years I think it's two hundred and seven million dollars, and of that course, all depends on where the cap comes in. Where the where the cap ends up, yeah. Like that, there will be sticker shock on that, just like there will be on all of these players. It's twenty five percent of the cap, just like it was when the cap was a lot less a few years ago. And Bain is worth that. He again, I would have tried to get a little. You know, you're giving him awesome. You know, security. You're transferring risk from player to team. Try to get a little bit of something for that. But I also really like Desmond Bain and. I don't think that the Grizzlies will 
absent injury regret giving him this contract. Yeah, and maybe the what they did extract as a concession was that it's just limited to a straight 25% if that indeed uh, is how it comes out. Well, though I and, will note there, yeah. I don't think of Bain as somebody who has a ton of all-NBA equity this year. I've been real. He's developed a lot, but that, especially on the guard line, that's really hard to get to if you're not going to be primary all the time. Yeah, yeah, as particularly as more of just a pure shooting guard. Although, you know, he, if the Grizz start off really well and he's doing awesome during the Morant suspension, narrative could build there. Could also be one of those things where, hey, some a bunch of guys don't play 65 games and he does, and that, that makes for some weird All-NBA selections. The other thing we gotta remember, too, is that it's not positionless as well, which I think... Oh, that's a great point. Maybe that might make it easier for him. We'll, we'll see. I think more we might see it skew a little more towards guards because forwards has kind of been the weakest position uh, there. Maybe third team center uh, you could point to also. And, you know, I'm not sure like to me, Desmond Bain, this wasn't like a no-brainer max in terms of the value. I certainly understand why they did it. If you put a gun to my head and said is this going to get done at the max? I was said, yeah, probably. Uh, He's coming off this broken toe issue, uh, which uh, he needed surgery for after the season that bugged him uh, all year. He certainly did not play like a max player in the playoffs. Uh, a lot of Grizz uh, didn't play the way they needed to in the playoffs. And this is also, frankly, a franchise that needs a PR win, needs a feeling of stability, another one of these small market teams where you need to retain your players. Uh, however, this will leave the Memphis Grizzlies with only $7 million in operating room below the tax with 13 players under contract next year then you throw in a team option for luke Kennard. they're actually over the tax for next year and there are certainly ways that they could trim salary but if you were someone who wanted them to use the mid-level that was not going to happen in part because they couldn't really offer it for more than one year considering these salary concerns however they did go for a two-year deal at the minimum uh, which actually carries a, a larger cap figure than you were used to over three million both years for someone of his experience with one Derek rose Derek rose who played his collegiate year at memphis and can be a steward for them offensively when John Moran is suspended. And I worry about leaning heavily on a player who has, you know, a lot of injuries. You know, you, you kind of want somebody who maybe has a lower, uh, like, expected value, but you, your confidence is going to be able to play in every game during that first, you know, 20-plus Right, but, yeah, because we've talked about that at backup point guard. Like, it, there are a lot of these kind of injury risk guys, and it's like it's tough to rely on because you just like you need a reliable backup point guard, right? Like, and so that's that's where you. It's almost more like not having someone hurts more than the upside of like having a really good guy. But in terms of what was available here, this is if you're looking at the minimum, this is the best they reasonably could. Have. Sure, and I mean Rose for the minimum, and if there's a chance that second year doesn't work out, it's not that much money, and they could get you know they could get off of it if they really need to we've seen the cost of offloading salaries is is lower right now that is a theme we will hit later in this podcast so they have Derek rose it's a you know a completely reasonable backup point guard for them and the life basketball life coming full circle it would have been cool to see him in chicago well it's a different full circle because it's the place he played before chicago so we'll, we'll see how that works out i'm I'm I, I'm a little bit concerned about the fit, but as a you know as a capable player, and the other key question for me, and you brought this up in terms of Desmond Bain, is Memphis now they have 15 fully guaranteed players on their roster with Derrick Rose, and they could absolutely start the 23-24 season with six you know like the preseason with 16 plus, 
But there isn't a clear like trade cut candidate there of anybody that I'm seeing. And that lends itself to the question of are they even going to use the non-taxpayer? Are they going to use the biannual? Because they have the capacity to use either or both if they had players to do it. And it also begs the question, why in the world didn't they do anything with Xavier Tillman? Because he's going to be unrestricted next year. They could sign an extension. But it's more so the idea that you had the money now, and they're now with the big extension for Bain, which they clearly knew was going to happen. They knew they weren't going to have the money next year. So you do the equivalent of front-loading. You add you know, $8 million or whatever it was going to be to your books now in exchange for lighter when your team is more expensive. Yeah, because they have $21 million below the tax this season. Now, I mean, there's a couple of options there. Maybe they just are not sure that they want Xavier Tillman on this team at something above the minimum next year due to some of their tax issues. But I think more accurately, maybe Tillman is just like, no, I didn't want to take what they're offering. Uh, But certainly, now, it couldn't have been a renegotiation and extension. They don't have enough room for that. But they could have basically said, hey, what do you think you're going to get next year? Okay, let's just shunt some of that into this year when we don't have to pay you and get you on a longer term deal for cheaper. Uh, You would have thought that that would be the idea behind what took place uh, in New Orleans based on, and perhaps that is what the parties came up with as the valuation, but considering that Herbert Jones got the absolute most he could as an early bird free agent, uh, a four years and $54 million after the Pelicans declined his team option at the minimum. And after, and noting that even had they picked up that team option, he still would have been a restricted free agent last year. Surprised, Danny, that it ended up being this much? Yes, because it doesn't seem like there was a real concession. And New Orleans, unlike Memphis, it's not a circumstance where, oh, well, we had the money, we could have, you know, do it, make the player happy. Like, they're in a crunch. And New Orleans has a deep roster, which is very good for them. And their books are, you know, complicated long term. And you could argue that having, you know, especially with where the cap might be going, having Herb Jones at a little bit over $10 million a year will be a good piece of business in the future. But you could have done that good piece of business a year from now. And I am definitely sympathetic when you see some of the contracts that get doled out of like, oh, maybe he's the guy somebody falls in love with and gives a big deal to. But generally defense first, offensively limited, and he's going to be low usage efficiency to be determined. So I don't think this was mitigating a ton of risk from the Pelican standpoint. I don't think that Herb Jones, and I would love to be wrong a year from now and be like, oh man, he's a $20 million player. Like I, I, I like Herb Jones quite a bit, but that's just generally not the way things happen for this player type. So I'm happy for Herb Jones that he gets his life-changing money. You talked about how he's extremely fiscally conscious himself, and so he gets that peace of mind a year early. But from New Orleans standpoint, you just tied up a lot of your money and it doesn't seem like ownership super thrilled about paying the tax. You tied up a lot of that money a year earlier than you had to and you didn't get a concession for doing so. I think there's two ways to look at this. I, I was had the same initial reaction as you, but as is so often my want, as you were talking, my initial thought was, well, how can I refute that arc? So I, I will attempt to do so momentarily. But my initial thought was certainly right in line. Because they had him 
under contract and he still would have been restricted this wasn't like okay well if you pick up my team option i'd be unrestricted next year they still would have had the ability to match any offer so just the pure flight risk and then also just generally that restricted free agency holds down salaries in most cases unless the guy actually gets an offer sheet or at least has the threat of an offer sheet as maybe cam johnson did as we'll get to but you'd say okay hey he was only going to make two million this year so what this essentially is is what you're saying his value would have been over the three seasons what you think he would have gotten next year would have been a three-year 52 million dollar deal we're giving him 52 million in new money but now we're just spreading some of that uh, over this year so yeah i mean that's the chance of herb jones getting that kind of a deal yeah i do think that those chances are relatively remote that would be at the very high end of his range now some people be like hey bruce brown had offers uh at the full mid-level that was 53 million that's only going to go up next year so like herb jones is a better defender than uh, bruce brown you know bruce brown's brand was pretty good you know he also was unrestricted rather than restricted so there are a lot more teams bidding for him at that full mid-level you know and this is basically this is a little bit less than the full mid-level would be next year uh and also you know you save a year on it uh, as well uh they could not go to five years by the way because they only had early bird rights so you can only go five years if he's uh you have full bird rights been on the team for three years uh so yeah i think the chances of him getting you know 18 million or something like that uh per season next year uh pretty low uh to me because of the way he shot the ball but i would say this too danny if this contract were being done after his first year like if you were going to predict after that first year like where is he going to be you know maybe the high teens would have kind of been more it right uh, i think he had a little bit of a down year last year and maybe they feel that he's gonna improve or there's the threat of him improving and you see what some of these guys are are going for that maybe that offer was out there for him um the other thing too is the cap is going to be rising a lot like the cap will likely be i think we got the maximum 10 percent raises this year the current projection is uh, only for about a five percent raise next year maybe that's due to rsn stuff it could end up being bigger though and then it's going to be 10 percent per year because of the new tv deal uh for a long time going forward so if you think of him as like hey this pays him mid-level money this is gonna be well below uh mid-level money by that point uh making just under 15 million in the 26 27 season and so that is like i think this will end up being a value contract in the end it's just maybe they could have squeezed a little bit hard like i don't think this is going to kill them uh but i thought mark bartlestein big surprise uh, did pretty well there any reaction to uh, what i was saying or are you still uh you still on like the they lost this negotiation battle train i'm still on it i i yeah. but Teams being optimistic is, is not a huge surprise, especially when he is a, a drafting and player development success story for you. Like Teams love rewarding players like that. And, and I, I really like Herb Jones. So if there is there there isn't really much of a victim here especially if new orleans can navigate this which i think they will and as i mentioned yeah, they're yeah sorry go their ahead. depth is their depth is strong enough that i'm not like oh man they're gonna really rue the day they didn't use their non-taxpayer mid-level on player x who would have like solved so many of their rotations i do have i do see some flaws in their rotation i wish they had another you know like theoretically if they could have added a dynamic ball handler for the times that Zion isn't healthy and all that type of stuff, I would have really liked it. But that guy didn't really exist in this class. So it would have been it would have been difficult for them. 
Yeah, I mean, there is an opportunity cost here that they could have used some of the non-taxpayer. But as you noted, there isn't a massive hole there. Maybe you could say backup center is the one thing, uh, or third center with uh, Nance in particular, maybe not being a guy who can play that often uh, or that much uh, within a given game. And of course, uh, Zion being a uh, rather large question mark. Uh, And now for the Pels finances, basically right at the tax with 12 players uh they still have the non-guarantee of garrett temple this that figure does not include him and talk that they might move on from kyra lewis it seems like if they do so it would be just sending him away and not taking back salary and but they still need to fill out the roster so if they don't make a move they will begin the season in the tax we actually have a watfo about that of whether they will actually pay the tax uh, this season that will do it for the public version of this pod i hope you enjoyed this analysis uh, and i won't tell you too much more mostly because it's now 1 32 a.m and i need to go to bed but i hope you appreciate the work we're putting in you have the ability if uh, you're in a difficult financial circumstance to get reduced pricing details on that on my pinned tweet and if you want to sign up for dunktown prime link is in the show notes hope to see you there we got another day of nba action so it's time for your fan duel crew to make their bets you know that new customers who bet five dollars get two hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you win Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.